Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. This week, NABIP submitted two comment letters and one response to a request for information to HHS and CMS. One of these comment letters is in response to the proposed 2024 Notice of Benefits and Payment Parameters, which contains provisions directly impacting agents and brokers. Here to discuss our comments on this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour is none other than Marcy Buckner. Let's begin with our response to the proposed 2024 NBPP. We talked about the details in this proposed rule on the December 21st edition of the Healthcare Happy Hour. As we discussed then, proposed NBPP covers a wide array of topics, but some certainly stood out to NABIP. Let's start with proposed limits to standardized plan options or meaningful difference changes. What is the administration proposing here, and what did we say in response? For this section, the NBPP is looking at the standardized plan options that have been in place for some time now and trying to restrict or limit the standardized plan options so that there aren't as many choices for the different types of plans carriers can offer. Obviously, this is kind of a gross simplification of what it's doing, but our concern with this is that many of us still remember when there were times that it was very difficult to have competition in the individual market for the exchanges, not just having different plan options from a specific carrier, but even having one or more carriers in counties. There were some counties that we called bear counties where they had zero carriers in their market. So we are very cautious about anything that could limit choice and different options within the the markets. So what we're saying in our comments is that we, we do agree that there needs to be a reasonable difference between the different plans. We're okay with that, that there has to be a significant difference between plan designs for the carriers to be able to divide them out and offer a different plan. But if there is no meaningful difference, then they really should just be submitting the one plan design instead of multiple plans that, that don't have a meaningful difference between them. But what we caution about here is, like I said, making sure that there's still choice in the market and competition, because we know when we have choice and competition in the market, it drives down costs. And it's also what the spirit of the ACA was all about, was about providing an online market where consumers could go to compare their plans and essentially, hopefully have an easy way of doing that and to to find a plan and get coverage that's right for them. So another piece that we suggested here is that if CMS believes that all of these plan choices are just too too much for consumers to be able to, to parse through, 
Well, number one, that is why they should be working with an agent or broker to help them go through those different choices and determine which one is best for them. But also maybe this is an opportunity for them to, instead of limiting the options of the different types of plans available online, maybe it's an opportunity to restructure the way the plans are listed online so that those differences are seen more easily and that consumers are able to understand better what those plan offerings are and how they differ from one another. One massive change that this rule would create if finalized is allowing navigators to provide door-to-door enrollment assistance. So what did NAPIP say to the administration there? For this section, we are very concerned about navigators being able to go door to door and enroll. So right now, under the rules for the exchange, navigators are able to go knocking door to door to provide education about enrollment options in the marketplace and the exchanges. But right now, unless this is finalized, they aren't able to enroll after providing that advice. They can direct them to go to healthcare.gov or uh, to go to find local help on healthcare.gov, which also provides a list of licensed and certified agents and brokers in their area, but they can't enroll them. This would change that so that they can go door-to-door knocking, providing education, but also then enroll. And we're very concerned about this, especially in an environment where we know that health insurance, um, regardless of what market you're in, I know right now we're hearing a lot about fraud in the Medicare market, but it also exists in the individual and employer market. And we feel like in this environment where there is fraudulent activity, that allowing navigators to go door-to-door knocking and enrolling people in coverage really opens the door to fraudulent actors to take advantage of of knowing that this rule exists and go door-to-door collecting people's information. So we really want to make sure that we're protecting consumers in this. This is something that in the Medicare market is is not allowed um, for some of those reasons I just pointed out. So we don't believe that it should be something that the federal government is supporting in the individual market. We also think that it belittles the decision that these consumers are making when they are enrolling in health insurance coverage. This is a big decision. This isn't something that you should decide, you know, within five minutes after someone knocks on your door and you just want to get rid of them. You just want them to go away. So you just sign up for whatever they are handing you. This is not selling Girl Scout cookies, as one of our our members said. And so to suggest that this is a decision that can be made for the moment when someone knocks on your door, it's really taking the the levity and seriousness of this decision and trivializing that. So we want to make sure that we're protecting the integrity of these decisions as well as protecting our consumers. There are also new proposed regulations in here that directly affect agents and brokers. So what are these new proposed requirements and how do we respond to those? So one of the changes in the proposed rule would require agents and brokers to document that the consumer, the client enrollee has reviewed the information as it's been entered for enrollment in the plan. And that was kind of the outline of how it was written in the proposed rule. And then subsequent to that, they did release a template for use, which is, it is a very simple template to to fill out with your client. And we appreciate that it is simple. We also understand why CMS is doing this. Oftentimes, 
there are issues with things being entered inaccurately. And usually it's things like addresses and other pieces of data that then do become burdensome to try to go back and change. I think many of you have probably tried to change an incorrect address and you're not always able to just log back in online and do that. Sometimes you have to call the exchange and it can take hours. Um, so something like this could help to prevent some of those errors. But the way that it's done with adding this extra form that is not embedded in the enrollment process, we think that is really where they need to take comment. If this was embedded in the enrollment process and while you're doing it online, it would be much easier and a seamless process instead of having this done separately. And some of our folks that are in the individual market, they noted that, you know, this, this form could easily still be used by, by bad actors that are just trying to obtain information and are um, just enrolling people by simple data that they're collecting and, and trying to scam the system that way. So this doesn't necessarily do anything to prevent fraud. And so that's why our folks really felt strongly that this needs to be something that's embedded in the enrollment system where the consumer goes in and checks off, yes, everything has been entered correctly. And then you hit enroll and, and, and you're done. In addition to the provisions we have discussed, there was another section that we expressed concern with regarding proposed auto-enrollment changes. So what did we say in that area? Yes, so the proposed rule would change the way that the marketplace uses to auto-enroll individuals who do not proactively re-enroll in their exchange-based insurance. So right now, if you are enrolled in marketplace coverage and you get to the end of the year and it's open enrollment and you don't go in and select what you would like to be enrolled in the following year, the system automatically enrolls, auto enrolls that individual into the plan that is the most similar to the plan that you were previously in. If this finalizes, it changes the re-enrollment decision-making in two ways. One, it would allow the exchanges to switch consumers who don't go in and actively re-enroll from a bronze-level plan to a silver-level plan so that the consumer would benefit from those cost-sharing reductions, even if that means their monthly premium could be higher. So they can switch you to something that is a higher premium without you going in and proactively agreeing to that. And this would also be allowed even if the consumer's bronze plan was, was still something that was being offered as long as the silver premium total cost with the tax credit was no greater than the bronze premium. The second change it would make would allow for a change in the re-enrollment, what we call hierarchies, to factor in a preference for keeping individuals in provider networks that are like their current plans. So in this way, when they're looking at what would be kind of the, the most similar, at least with this second piece of looking at the provider networks, they would at least be making sure that the provider networks are, are similar. The whole process of re-enrollment is something that we have always really cautioned the administration about, especially for those consumers that do not go in proactively and choose what they would like to be enrolled in for the following year. We have always felt like this needs to be a conscious decision that is made by consumers 
if they don't want to make that decision on their own and they want the federal government to do it, then they should be able to go in and say, yes, I agree to whatever you're going to put me in. But it should be something that the consumer is acknowledging is happening instead of being put to kind of the will of the, the federal government and the algorithm that is put together for them. Um, we also think it could be very dangerous to switch them amongst the metal levels without that being a conscious decision. And this could lead down the line to, you know, healthcare.gov is always very very concerned about the amount of incoming calls they have at the call center for changing things and and, and being able to assist consumers calling in. We would also caution that remapping them and re-enrolling consumers in a plan that's a different metal level could lead to a lot of folks calling, even if they didn't proactively choose what plan they wanted to be in for the following year, they go to their doctor and they're not covered or, or out of pocket pay is different or something like that, then they are certainly going to notice that and call and wonder why they're in a different plan. So outside of the items discussed, were there any provisions of this proposed NVPP that we expressed support for? So there was a change in the exchange user fees, and it reduced the user fee by 0.25%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it does make a big difference. We definitely support this. Anything that lowers the cost of coverage and those user fees, like I said, they add up. So we were, we're happy to see that reduction on the federal marketplace side. We have, we have seen state exchanges reducing their user fees as well. So this is a great trend to see seeping over to the federal side, and, and hopefully we'll see further reductions in the future. Another big piece that we supported was a change in the special enrollment period. And the one here would specifically be addressing special enrollment periods for Medicaid recipients who have lost their Medicaid eligibility and are now able to go on to the individual exchange. And for this, the reason why this is so important is because with the end of or pending end of the national health emergency, we are going to see millions of people that are going to lose their Medicaid eligibility and most likely will qualify for an exchange plan and will qualify for an exchange plan with a subsidy. There will be a handful of them that, that may not meet those income levels and maybe fall into the Medicaid gap if they're in a state that didn't um, extend Medicaid, but many of them will be eligible for the individual exchange. And so this extended that SEP for folks that lose Medicaid eligibility from 60 days to 90 days and gives them a little bit more time to be able to make that decision and enroll in individual coverage. This is also really important because there is a stacked timeline on when you lose eligibility for Medicaid, when you actually lose coverage and also when you're able to enroll in coverage and uh, on the individual side and when your effective date will start there. And we really want to make sure that these people are not left with any gaps in coverage. And so having that extended SEP for loss of Medicaid eligibility, we believe will, will assist this population that we could see this summer, late summer and early fall, start to transition from Medicaid coverage to the individual market. Moving on, NAPIP also submitted a comment letter on a proposed rule having to do with patient privacy 
and substance use disorder patient records. So what would this proposed rule do? And did NABIP support this change? So this proposed rule makes it easier for some files to be shared, most likely between healthcare providers, making sure that information is shared to protect, especially those, like you said, with mental health and substance use disorders, for instances where you may be going, we'll say you're going to an orthopedic surgeon for rotator cuff surgery. And while you're there, you're discussing your pain management and the patient doesn't divulge to the surgeon that they have a substance use disorder and should not be on any type of narcotics for pain management. This would allow for shared files to go from the primary care physician to the orthopedic surgeon in this example to share some of that information to make sure that the appropriate care and caution is taken in treating that patient. This is, you know, really a boiled down example. But in the ways that they are changing some of the HIPAA rules here, it will it will impact not just physician offices, but also health insurance carriers and self-funded plans. And with that change, it will alter the way that the notice of privacy practices or MPP is issued in those self-funded plans and others to change the language about this change in the HIPAA requirements. And so we... Our main point with our comment letter was making sure that the agencies understood that this is going to be something that plans are going to have to change and alter and asking the agencies to make sure to provide guidance on how that is to be done so that they can be in compliance not only with with HIPAA and this change to HIPAA, but also be in compliance with providing plan documents, including the requirements for the notice of privacy practices. The last response we submitted this week was a RFI or request for information response regarding essential health benefits under the ACA. There were a few areas of information that the administration was looking for here, including information related to barriers to access and care, as well as gaps in coverage. So overall, what did NABIP have to say to the agencies here? Overall, we supported the review of the essential health benefits and the attempts that the administration is making to kind of update and refine the way that EHBs are determined. Historically, if we go back several years to the beginning of the ACA, the ACA said that qualified health plans had to cover the 10 essential health benefits and then delegated to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners to go through and really define what those 10 sections meant and what was included in those 10 sections of the EHBs and report back. And then those were to HHS. And then HHS took those recommendations very strongly and put in more regulations about how the EHVs were to be structured. And there is some flexibility based on the state's benchmark plan and all these other pieces. 
but largely there have only been a few tweaks over the years on the essential health benefits. So as we all know, the world doesn't stand still. We've definitely, over the past couple of years, experienced large changes in, in healthcare and everything that we've experienced during the pandemic. So we are encouraged by the administration taking a look at the EHBs and releasing this request for information on ways that they can possibly innovate and also ways that they can try to address I don't want to say gaps in coverage, but areas of care that may not have been included to the level that they should have been in the EHBs. A lot of the questions are, or not a lot of them, but there were some questions about mental health care and being able to access providers and whether some of the current rules are barriers to access. So it's clear that they're trying to make sure that they're addressing really the needs of the population to make sure that the EHB requirements for those qualified health plans actually meet up with what consumers need. I do on all of these items that we submitted to the agencies, just a side note, the request for information is just that. They are just asking for stakeholder input on the essential health benefits. So this is not going to be something that nothing that we have put in writing is going to immediately impact the way that the the rules for essential health benefits are currently being implemented. On the other two pieces, on the HIPAA letter and on the notice of benefit and payment parameters, those two were proposed rules. And so, you know, many of our loyal listeners know about this, but for folks that aren't familiar with the rulemaking procedures, nothing in those is final yet. These are proposed rules. The agencies release a proposed rule, what they're thinking about putting together. They are then required to open a comment period where stakeholders submit comments, which is exactly what we are doing and what we just talked through, what our comments are that we're submitting. And then the agencies review all of the stakeholder comments and they release either a final rule or a revised rule based on, if they've revised a lot of the proposed rule based on comments, or they might rescind the rule and not go forward with it at all if they received enough comments that said that, you know, people thought it was a bad idea. So there are a number of different ways that this can shake out. So even with the pieces that are proposed rules, those requirements that we were talking about are not in place right now. They will have to go through the final rulemaking process. And when that happens, Dan and I will be back to talk about those final rules, what we may have seen changed, what is still the same, what the compliance pieces are. And then I can promise you we will be doing a compliance corner webinar on any large changes that we see from the HIPAA proposed rule or the notice of benefit of payment parameters, which impacts the individual market. But for right now, these are just proposed rules. It's important to be informed about these and to know what's included, but compliance is not required until these are final rules. And there are chances that there could be some minor changes in these pieces before they're finalized. So I do want to caution on that. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So Marcy, what are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to Groundhog Day. Punxsutawney Phil came out and saw his shadow, so unfortunately, we're going to have six more weeks of winter. But 
at least that lets you all know to make sure to bundle up and pack those extra layers when you come to DC in February for Capitol Conference. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.